I'm a huge believer in budgeting and tracking your money. I did that right when I graduated college and I still do that till this day. I don't think I'll ever not budget. Um, and it's been interesting to hear. I know a lot of the people you have on here don't don't really track their money that closely, but but I do. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 228. Clark, how's it going? What's going on in your world? Doing well. Doing well. Nothing crazy. I mean, following this Ukraine-Russia stuff, which has obviously been crazy. So a lot going on in the news, but I guess staying low-key for me. Nothing big new in my life. Anything for you? Yeah, no, man. Just doing the same. You know, it hits home a little bit. I think more so for you and I, in, in some some ways, just given that we lived in East Europe for a couple of years, and we've got a lot of t- you know indirect indirect ties to the country of Ukraine through you know Bulgarians and the USSR and the history and all that there, and the definitely definitely prayers with with them and and their country. But I will say it has been inspiring to watch you know just the faith that they have in their country, the leadership of Zelensky and, and some other things. You know, the just praying for for everyone involved. I mean, it's just a, it's a terrible scene, terrible situation. I've been watching it just like everybody else has, and, and, and you know, there's definitely yeah. things that spill into us and our economy and decisions that get made. And, you know, no matter how this thing ends, there's going to be probably repercussions for a very long time, you know, on a geopolitical sphere. So something to pay attention to for sure. Yeah. And it's not going away anytime soon. Probably. I don't think at least. Yeah. Hopefully I'm wrong. That way. Hopefully I'm wrong. So we got an email from Mike from from last week's episode, uh, episode 227. Just kind of wanted to give you an update after we sent him or after he uh, heard his episode. He said, current my net worth is 2.74. So it was 2.25. So here he's grown that 500 grand. I've added two rental properties to portfolio. Uh, my realtor had a deal fall through and he convinced me to close on my seventh rental. It shows you the power of relationships and staying close to your team. I purchased my eighth in December and just got it rented after a major after a major face left to appreciate your podcast and learning from others with a similar mindset. So I just kind of, I thought that was interesting. I think it's interesting always to get updates on, on people's stories who we just hear, but um, just his point, Jay, shows you the power of relationships, right? And staying close to your team after he bought his eighth rental property now. Yeah, no, those those relationships are extremely important. It's not just stuff that you build later in your life. It's things that you build when you're young in your life. You know, I just met with a guy not too long ago and talking to him about he how he got started in this journey and you know, he landed himself in a, in a pretty good situation pretty early in his career. And, and the way that it came about for him was, so there's this business owner, this business owner had a CPA and the son of that CPA and him were friends and opened up a, a crazy opportunity and door for him, big risk that he took and, and it's, it's paid significant dividends for him. So, coming back to some young kid, teenage relationship type thing. And so just really important to, to make sure you build those all throughout your life and, and continue. And this is a great example with Mike where, you know, he had this come, in, come into his lap and spend those months and years and decades sometimes, and then something 
something happens in your favor. So, in last week, he, you know, just a little quick recap on him. He was medical device sales at the time we interviewed him, and 2.25 million, as Clark mentioned, he's up to 2.7 million, so half a million dollar increase uh, pretty quickly. So, he's definitely getting the flywheel moving. This week, we've got Adam. He's a banker, primarily lending on the commercial real estate side. His net worth is $1.4 million. Super excited about his episode. So without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Adam. Adam, do you want to just give us a little about your background or what you're up to now? Yeah, uh, for sure, guys. I just want to say thanks for having me on the podcast. It's by far my my favorite one. And I've found so much motivation from hearing the uh, all the great stories on this. So I'm honored to be, you know, sharing my story and hopefully can inspire some some people out there. So I'm 37. I live in Michigan. I uh, graduated college in 2007. So kind of right when the world was crashing. And my entire career has been um, commercial real estate um, not on the development side, but working for financial institutions. So I lend money to real estate developers to finance their construction projects or acquisition of their commercial real estate project. That's been my whole, I guess now almost 15 year career has been doing that. Wow, awesome. And what is your net worth today? I just calculated it on Friday, last Friday, and we went over 1.4 million just a tad over, even though uh, market's been down the last couple of days. So we're probably back just under it, but I'm going to say 1.4. Awesome. Congrats. How is that broken up? So we have 1.1 million. So the majority of it is what I'll call retirement accounts, although 400,000 of that is in a taxable brokerage account. That's been a big focus of mine with wanting to retire early. So we've really been beefing that up. The rest would be in IRAs and 401ks. And then we have 115000 in cash, um, 70000 in college accounts, um, 8000 in UTMA accounts for my two kids. We have roughly 85000 in equity in our primary house and then 25000 of just kind of miscellaneous cars and personal property. Wow. So you got quite a bit going on. How is the retirement account broken up between traditional and Roth? And then also, is that mainly in index funds, bonds, stocks? What's the makeup there of the the retirement? Yeah. So the IRAs are both traditional, not Roth. I've gone back and forth on doing that, but I'm kind of the believer of, I just, I don't know what my tax liability is going to be in the future. So I haven't fully committed to switching to doing the Roth, but I figure, you know, you can kind of transfer that at at later dates. So I may do that Roth conversion down the road, but right now it's all traditional. In terms of how I invest, it's, I'm a big believer in index funds. So the simple path to wealth, JL Collins, that was really eye-opening reading that about four or five years ago. So about 60% of our investments would be index funds. I have about 10% each uh, small mid-cap international. And then the last 10% would kind of be a mix of some sector funds, very minimal bonds. And I never thought I would say this, but I put in our first 15,000 into crypto. So I really never thought I'd be saying that, but I think it's, it's here to here to stay. And so I've thrown just a little little bit of money into that sector too. 
Did you put it in today or was it before today? It was, yeah, exactly. So it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was like probably about a week ago. It was last week, early last week. So it was on a tear last week. And now, you know, but it's my viewpoint is obviously very long term. I don't think I've ever, you know, aside from doing some rebalancing, you know, my strategy is just to really hold forever. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So the non-retirement, how is that? invested in is that just traditional brokerage account where you could pull it out at any time yeah it is yeah just a traditional brokerage account and really the allocation of the kind of 60 percent index funds and then the the rest is really pretty similar across every single account whether it's the brokerage or the retirement so you mentioned you've got a little bit of a home equity but also a note left on that why not pay that home off with the money that's in that brokerage account yeah that's that's funny so that's a good question and i actually you know started out as a dave ramsey follower so from you know we bought our house in 2011 so through 2015 we you know i was really only saving 15 percent of retirement and just plowing down on that mortgage. And then, you know, five years ago, really realized I was, I felt behind on my retirement savings, especially to retire early. And so I totally switched strategies and Dave Ramsey would cringe at this, but we actually did a cash out refinance back at the end of 2015. Not, not a huge number. I think we maybe pulled out 50,000 of equity, but it went into my uh, taxable brokerage account and we just re refinanced to, I had been on a 30 year and we just did a 20 year. Uh, refinance. And really, my goal is just to have it paid off by the time that we, you know, we're financially independent and not not working a corporate job anymore. So Adam, you mentioned that you were a big Dave Ramsey fan. Is is that still the case? Or is that have you shifted and, and are your viewpoints different from him now? Yeah, very much. I've shifted. There's things about Dave that I agree with and I'm grateful for. And and the main things would be I'm a huge believer in budgeting and tracking your money. I did that right when I graduated college and I still do that till this day. I don't think I'll ever not budget. Um, and it's been interesting to hear. I know a lot of the people you have on here don't don't really track their money that closely, but but I do. And and then I think the second thing I agree with Dave on is just avoiding, you know, the consumer debt, getting out of the high interest rate, credit card, student loan debt. You know, I'm not a believer in not using credit cards. You know, it's not making me wealthy, but you know, I'm getting easily a thousand, two thousand dollars a year probably in the cash back. And why wouldn't you want that free money? And I'm also not a firm believer that you should just be saving 15% for re- retirement and throwing everything else on your mortgage. It's, you know, rates are so cheap. I think it should be a, a personal choice. I would never knock someone that chooses to, you know, get out of that mortgage debt as soon as possible because, you know, there's something to be said to truly be debt free, including your house. But I, you know, I don't agree with how Dave doesn't think you, you know, that there's no wiggle room to, to go the other route, which I have chosen to follow in that, you know, don't pay extra on the house and save as much as you can for, for retirement. 
Yeah. Well, let's jump into your story a little bit, Adam, and then we'll come back to maybe some more details on your net worth. So, I mean, one of the things that intrigues me about your story is this has all happened in the last 10 or 11 years. In 2009, you shared that your net worth is was six six and a half thousand ish, right? Six point seven or so. Is that correct? Yeah, it it was, and I think um, you know, but but what was the key on that was you know not I didn't have any debt. You know, I think I had on there my my only debt was a, a two thousand dollar loan to my father because I had massive car repairs and I didn't have any cash to uh, to fund it. But that was my only debt I had. Um, gone through college, my my father worked for a public university in state, and I had chosen to go there tuition free. So I got through college because of that. You know, no no student loan debt and just you know paid cash for cars and live live below my means but it was you know really 2009 yeah starting starting from nothing and it was you know I it was the middle of a recession so I, I lucked out in the sense of being able to you know stay employed and build my career but there were multiple career promotions that happened early on in my career where they said hey we're going to promote you but we, you know we can't give you any more money that that type of thing but late later on in my career especially these last like 4 or 5 years the the income has really taken off but i've maintained that same you know the same lifestyle hasn't hasn't changed at all you know we still live in the same house that we bought you know 10 years ago so were you always in in this field in banking for your whole career or have you moved yeah. around? No, whole, whole career, always commercial real estate lending. And I had to relocate, you know, in 2009, I moved from the west side of Michigan to the Detroit area, which was not only the hardest hit area in Michigan, but in the nation. And, yeah. and people just yeah. thought I was crazy. Like, why are you move into Detroit and but it was a good job opportunity and that that has been, you know, career speaking, that's been the best decision I've I've made. Good um, for you. Yeah. And what about income? How has your income fluctuated or grown these last ten or eleven years? Yeah, a lot. So we were I'll say my my wife and I, even though we were dating at the time. So, you know, she's a social worker, which is a, you know, drastically under underpaid profession. No one goes into that field for the money. So I would say when we, when I started out in banking in 2007, I think my first paycheck or first salary was 35,000 and my wife was probably making 30,000. So call it 65,000. And we're up to about 220,000 now base. Um, but I get a, you know, I don't like to rely on it, but it's, you know, every, every year I get a hefty bonus. And so, you know, we're probably pushing about 300 these last couple of years. And so that's been just instrumental in, in the wealth building, uh, the, the income obviously jumping up, but again, we've maintained that same lifestyle. So it's basically all gone towards savings. Good for you. That's amazing. Yeah. What, more than four times your income in the last 10 years? Yeah. And, you know, I would say we've made, I've made uh, two, so I'm on my almost 15 year career on my third bank. So the last two bank switches were were big, big income increases. And so I feel like, unfortunately, you know, in that corporate world, it's easier to, you know, it's a lot easier to really increase your pay by switching companies versus, you know, internally. It's just, I've heard too many stories. I just think that's a, 
a reality. But for anyone out there who, you know, is looking, you know, at ways to maybe uh, increase your pay, if you've been at that same company for a long time, you know, go out, test that market. I think you'd be surprised what, you know, what your value truly, truly is. Don't just rely on what, you know, what your corporation has been increasing your pay annually. Go, go test that market. So is that what drove the job changes was to take higher income or are these or were you comfortable or was it something else that happened at work? No, it, it, in all honesty, I've had a, just a fantastic mentor who when I moved to Detroit in 2009, it was it was a internal transfer. It was the same bank. But we uh, that, that's the person I started to work for in Detroit. And we uh, we made the move together um, in 2011. And then um, one other person made that made that jump with us too, and then we made another career or another employer switch at the end of 2007, and, and it was the three of us staying together. So it, it wasn't income driven at all, but it just kind of you know none of us were forced to make that move. So when they were kind of asking what my salary expectations were, I had kind of shot for the moon and was was surprised. <laughs> To not get a lot of pushback on it, so it was not not the driver of why I did it, but it ended up being you know a, a good benefit that wasn't necessarily uh, intended to be, if that makes sense. What was that conversation like? I mean, that you were essentially shocked that there wasn't much pushback. Yeah, well, it was actually my so I would have never I, I would have never done that you know, thrown that out there, but it was, you know, my, my boss and mentor, I think he, I think he knew I, I wouldn't give a high enough number. So he told me, like, I, I think he even said, you know, w- w- you know, aim high, what's your number? And I think I said, and he goes, no, do, do something higher. And uh, so I did, but I, yeah, if it wasn't for that advice, I, <laughs> I probably would have, sh- you know, short sailed myself and, and, you know, but uh, I, I gave a number that was, you know, it turned out to be fair, right? So I just, I think I've always had that mentality of kind of probably self-doubting myself, but you, you know, but that's always been a huge, like motivating factor that, you know, that I actually appreciate that I have that mindset, but it's, you know, don't, don't sell yourself short and, you know, what your value truly is, is out there uh, in terms of uh, market value to an employer. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. It's something that we probably don't talk about enough on, on this podcast is growing in a career and, and understanding your value in the marketplace. And one, two, maybe not being afraid to ask for it too, right? And you know, I'm glad to, that you were able to have that experience and speak to that a little bit. How did you go about understanding what your value was so that you felt confident and and you know getting and asking for what you got? Yeah, that's a that's a good question too. I again I would go back to, you know, my my boss and my mentor who's, you know, been in this field for 30 years and in I've never been a manager of anyone, but, you know, the majority of a a large portion of his career has been at that management level. So I think he has a lot better feel of kind of, you know, what that market rate is for for someone. So, you know, it was really, it it was that relationship and, you know, being close enough to someone like that, you know, to, you know, truly have a mentor that you can have though, you know, that it's a lot of people wouldn't have, you know, they're not close enough to anyone, you know, in, in their professional circle to have that open dialogue. So it's just, you know, but, but I've been blessed to have that type of relationship where, you know, we, we can have that type of conversation. Yeah, totally. So as you've gone on this journey, you mentioned a little bit that you might be interested in an early retirement. When did that come to, to the surface that that was something maybe you wanted to pursue? And, and how do you plan on going and pursuing that? 
Yeah, that that's a great question too. So it's it's funny because it I I really stumbled upon it. You know, it was finding the fire movement. So um, I think I found it through the Choose Fi Facebook page, and I had never. It's crazy to think about it now, but I mean, I had never even thought about it. Right, my father is in his 70s now and he you know he's someone who just he'll he he'll never fully retire he not because he financially can't but that's just his mentality like of work is who he is and i i think i just kind of was blindly following that thinking you know well maybe i'll retire when i'm 65 or 70 and when i found that fire movement it's just like literally a a light bulb went off and and i immediately you know started looking at how much I was saving a year for retirement, which I think at that time, you know, I think I was only saving like, I think, and I had created like a plan, like a, I had, you know, maybe a year or so before I'd created a plan that was showing like saving 20,000 a year or something, which I think at that time was about 15% of our incomes. And that was going to get me to about, you know, a million eight, I think when I was like 67. And I just thought that was, that was the plan. And now it's like, you know, it's, I love, I love what I do. I don't think I could be in a corporate career that I enjoyed more, but there's nothing that I would love more than to have that financial independence of knowing I never have to earn another dollar. And the dilemma I'm in, I, you know, in a lot of ways, I, I have a lot of, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. There were things I wanted to try coming out of college that I never did. And now I'm kind of stuck in this corporate career that I truly love and enjoy. But how, how could I walk away from that right now and go try some of those entrepreneur ideas that I had, you know, 15 years ago. So, so my plan is to continue working the career I have and hopefully, you know, in the next, you know, 10 to 13 years by, you know, kind of the targets age 50, you know, I'll be truly financially independent. And I think there's a lot of cushion I have in, in what that number is. And, and then in my mind, retirement isn't just, you know, sitting on the beach. It's going to be, you know, I, I want to do some real estate huge passion for finance, you know, personal finance. I'd love to financial coach. So there's plenty of things that I plan to do, but I just want to have that. I don't want to pursue those passions with the caveat of knowing I have to earn X amount of income. I, I want to have the freedom of knowing even if I made $0 doing it where that's okay. Yeah, totally. So will that be a, a number that you'll walk away and, and pursue those? Or what's your mindset around when you'll feel comfortable to maybe do that? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a number, you know, I, and it's solely based on just real estate, or I'm sorry, not real estate, but just, you know, ec, you know, stock market investments, my index funds. And it's, I think I'm uber conservative and what I'm projecting out the income I annually need to live on. So it's obviously just, you know, calculating the 4% rule. And, you know, there's a lot of unknowns with health insurance. What, you know, what is that going to cost? All of that. So I feel pretty confident that, you know, I'll be able to to walk away, you know, in, in the next 10, 10 years. And again, it's a, it's a number that's going to, I think, be more, more than what I actually end up needing. Because again, we don't, we live pretty basic lives. There's nothing extravagant that we plan to do beyond, you know, being able to to kind of travel a lot. How much do you spend a year? Yeah, that's a good question. So I obviously I, I track everything. And so the way I 
the way I budget is everything that's reoccurring every month. So our monthly budget is is about $6,000 a month, but then that wouldn't include some of the non-monthly expenses like, you know, car insurance, which is twice a year, property taxes. So we're probably, when you add in that, I mean, I would guess we're probably spending, you know, maybe $8,000 a month over a full year. I should have looked that number up. Oh, that's all right. So 90, 90 to 100 grand, probably 95, maybe. Yeah, because I mean, we're saving about 40, 45% gross just towards retirement. So when you add in, you know, just normal, normal savings and college funds, it's, it's north of 50%. So good for you. Yeah, that was going to be my next question because you mentioned yeah. 15%. Now you're up to 40 or 45% of gross. What is yeah. your order of operations? How do you allocate that money? It seems that you're putting it into 401k and IRA. You also have pretty large balances in your education saving accounts, but how do you what what's kind of your process, your order of operations for every dollar or every $1000 that you earn and save? Yeah, so the 401k is probably the priority in terms of I maximize it out over the whole year to get the maximum match from my employer. So that's, it's a decent match. I think it's it just changed, but I think it's roughly, I, I believe it's 5% match. Um, so we fully max out. I can't remember now what the max 401k is, 19,000 or 19,500, but we fully max out the 401k. Um, you know, it's the, tax savings up front too. So I'm, you know, it's the match plus, plus the tax deduction on the, on the pay. And then we do our, our IRAs. And then my, my wife's retirement is forget the exact name, but it's, you know, social worker for the county. So I think it's the, it's not a 401k, but the 403b or whatever that is, but that's a required, like we don't have a, a choice on, on that percentage, but that's not coming close. You know, that's, I think we're putting like combined into those two accounts, like 10,000 a year. Um, so then after that, it's everything into that taxable brokerage account. I just, I think that's to retire early and have that flexibility of knowing I can access that money for whatever it may be um, without penalty beyond just capital gains taxes. Yeah. And is real estate in the plans at all? Yeah, it's funny because it's, I have so much real estate background. It's what I do for my career. And yet I own none of it besides our primary house. Um, I, you know, right now I have little kids and I just, I haven't had the desire to do the residential real estate, whether it be rentals or flipping, but yeah, definitely that's part of the plan of what I want to do beyond 50. So, you know, it won't be anything large scale, but I'll probably dabble in just, you know, flipping or rentals, um, potentially maybe doing some some commercial real estate because that's obviously my expertise. Even if I've never actually done a project, I you know, I'm well versed in it. So yeah, that's that's on the radar, but but down the line a little bit. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Loan Steady. As regular listeners know, we love companies that can improve your financial well being. We vet sponsors carefully to make sure that they can deliver a great experience to our listeners. So if you're in the market for a home loan or interested perhaps in refinancing or would like to take cash out for a special project or home improvements, especially before rates potentially rise this year, check out Loan Steady. They have 350 five-star Google reviews, so customers leave happy. They have a special offer for listeners of Millionaires Unveiled. Before April 1, go to www.loansteady.com dot com slash millionaire and apply. 
and LoanSteady will will waive all lender fees, including application and processing fees. Important terms and conditions apply. For more licensing, please visit www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. This is LoanSteady LLC, NMLS number 1701910, equal housing lender. So get a rate today and see how LoanSteady can help you reach your financial goals. Go to www.loansteady.com forward slash millionaire to get your special offer today. If you're just tuning in here, we're talking with Adam Networth of about 1.437 years old. His net worth in 2009 was $6,500, so he's done this all in the last 11 years or so. Adam, let me ask you about, you have a car loan, right? Yeah. Car payment? Yeah. Yeah. About 57000 is that right? <laughs> It is. I, yeah. And it's, you know, full disclosure and it's, uh, uh, most expensive car I've ever, ever purchased. It's a BMW. It was a dream car purchased, used. I don't think I'll ever, I know I won't. I just, I don't think I'll ever buy a brand new car, but I heavily negotiated the, uh, I'm a deal guy. So I was probably looking for about three <laughs> months, you know, once, you know, I go test drive something. So I knew exactly the year and model I want. And then I just do a kind of 500 mile radius search on, uh, auto trader. And I found a, once you start looking at a specific year and model, you know, when you have a good price. So my strategy was I, I found a good price and then I focused on negotiating the interest rate, right? Cause they, not not the price. So I think I got them down to like 1.7% on, on the car note. And so my mind was, it's like free money. And, uh, you know, I'll end up, I'll get sick of it and I'll, I'll pay it off early. But, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I've never done anything like that, <laughs> like that before, but I just, I, I view it as I'm going to earn a, a lot more in the market than, than the 1.7 I'm paying on it. Sure. No, I was just curious. So what was your upbringing like? Did your parents teach you about money or where did you learn about this? How did your background lead you to where you are now, if at all? Yeah. So middle-class upbringing, we never really talked about about money in the sense of investing or anything like that. But it was always, I was taught, you know, you work your butt off. And, you know, so from 16 on, I've always pretty much worked almost full time and avoid debt. So I, I was lucky to do that, but I wasn't very good at saving any of that money. And I, and I could have, even at that age of 16, I kind of a funny story, but I, my, you know, you have to be 18 to deliver pizzas, but my, I had an older friend who was an assistant store manager at a pizza joint and they let me, you know, they overlooked my actual age. So 16, I get my first job. I have my first beater car and I'm delivering pizzas and, you know, making good money for a 16 year old kid, right? All my friends are making five bucks an hour minimum wage. And I'm, you know, coming home on a Friday night with 150 bucks of cash from tips. So even from that age, you know, I, I could have been investing and I, I wish I would have had, you know, if someone would have shown me the, the compound interest chart of starting, you know, at 16 and throwing a couple hundred bucks in the market a month. I mean, it would have, I would like to think it would have been eye opening and I would have, would have followed through with that. But that's something I hope to, to pass on to, to my kids. Yeah. What drives you and, and what used to drive you? Has that changed at all? I, I, I ask this frequently because I'm just curious about how I think that shifts through the years. I think initially when we start working, investing, we're determined to save and to invest. And we look at compound interest, as you just mentioned, and you want to get started quick. Yeah. And then 
And later in life, it seems to be from a lot of our millionaires, they, they want the freedom. But I'm just curious what drives you now and what used to drive you, if that's the case. Yeah, it's, that's a really good question, too. So I'd say starting out out of college, my starting my career was totally driven by my job, my work, succeeding at it, getting promotions, kind of climbing that corporate ladder. So it was it was all work driven and I never really, and it wasn't even the, the financial aspect of it. And cause like I said earlier, a lot of my promotions in 08 and 09, it didn't really come with much, much pay bumps. So, but I had the mindset of income will take care of itself down the road and it has. So yeah, so it was really just that, that career progression. And, you know, there's a lot of 60, 70, 80 hour weeks in, in that recession. And some of that was driven by fear of job loss too. But the shift, especially over these last five years and since becoming a father, it's definitely the time, the freedom, the independence to just do whatever I want to do. And again, it's not because I'm not happy with my career because I am, but man, you can't put a price tag on being able to have that financial independence. So right now that is 100% my driver. I think about it every day, without a doubt, multiple, multiple times a day. I'm, I'm thinking about it. Do you, your family or friends know of your wealth? Yeah, no. Um, I think, no, I, I would say the, e- the easiest answer is no. We, I just, I don't have anyone that, that I openly talk about the, finances with. And that's why I love this podcast. It's why I love the, you know, the, the Facebook financial pages out there. And um, that's why I love those communities. That's where I feel comfortable, you know, sharing details and my story, but it just hasn't, for whatever reason, it just hasn't, you know, happened with my immediate circle of family and friends. Being in banking and around others that, that that deal with money and loans and understanding finance, would you say your your coworkers are on a similar path to you, or are they not so much? No, I would say overall yes, but I also would say you know I've made the decision of living. You know, I live farther out, so I've you know for all these years I've had kind of a crappy forty five minute commute each way. So that's been one blessing of COVID is the work from home. And I don't think for me, I don't think I'll ever go back to the office five days a week. I think it'll be more like maybe one day a week. Um, But I specifically chose to live in a much lower real estate cost area. So that's been a huge, huge driver. And I've seen everyone else too, as they, as their incomes have grown, that's, that's meant, you know, big uh, upgrades and primarily houses. And I just, I have not, we have not made that, that change. So, I mean, the house we bought 10 years ago, part of it was great market timing, but I mean, it was 185,000 and we, we still live in it. We'll probably, I have no plans to ever change houses. So it will probably forever be, be our house. And that's been a big driver in, in building the wealth too, is, is kind of skipping out on that. You know, let's go buy, not that there's anything wrong with it, but let's go, you know, upgrade to a five, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollar house, or you know, even much more than that in, in a high cost of living area. Yeah, you bought it for one eighty, and now it's worth what? Just over three hundred. Yeah. So it was awesome. great, again. It was great. It was great timing. But again, that same. Again, if we had lived in, you know, there's some much more expensive suburbs of Detroit. So even if you made it apples to apples of what that would have cost ten years ago. 
I mean, that 180 would have easily been two, three times that in, in a lot of markets, even even 10 years sure, ago. Sure. Do you budget, Adam? Or have you ever budgeted? Yeah, budget. First first job out of college, we created it. I created it in Excel and I, I still do to to this day. So every every penny. Every month? Every month. Yeah. And I, you know, we have a joint credit card. All expenses go on that. So the only thing that comes out of the debit or the checking account is is auto debit stuff. So it's, you know, having just kind of the one card makes it easy. So I kind of update it every week. Doesn't doesn't take that long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about a financial advisor? Have you ever used a financial advisor? Never have, and I don't. I don't think I will. I again, big believer in the index funds, and I just I feel very very confident in, in that in that strategy. Awesome. Well, let's jump into some rapid fire questions here, and then we'll wrap up with just some overall general mistakes and advice. And I know we yep. covered a, a couple of these household spending about 90, not including all, all expenses, range of household income about 65,000 to 300. Amazing. How old were you when you became a millionaire? Uh, so that happened 2020. And again, I'm so I was actually 30. It was last summer. So I was 37 and still 37, but I turned 38 on Sunday. So young. Well, 37, and now you're you're already a 1.4. Yeah, time in the market. Good, Amazing good market runs. Yeah. Uh, any books or products you recommend? Yeah, I'm a big reader. I've probably read, you know, all all the common books that get get thrown out on here. But you know, I'll go back to. J.L. Collins, The Simple Path to Wealth. I recommend that all the time. And it's just the, you know, everyone should read it. So as soon as my kids are of age, that's going to be a required book to read. Everyone should read it. Okay. What's the most expensive, I think we talked about this, but the most expensive car you've ever purchased? Yeah, it was the used, uh, but very nice BMW that I bought last summer. So I think uh, all in taxes, it was probably almost 60,000. 60, but uh, no okay, regrets. About, go ahead. Sorry. I should say no, no regrets on it. Probably took me about 12 months to pull the trigger though, but, but no regrets. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about the most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? Yeah, probably we did an anniversary dinner at a nice restaurant downtown Detroit, my wife and I, a couple of years ago. So it was probably about 300 Okay. What's been worth spending more money on to you and what's not worth the money? Mm, I'd say the the travel, the vacations. My kids are young. You know, They're not going to want to do... We've done Disney cruises. They're not going to want to do that when they're 15. So yeah, definitely the travel. And then I would say not worth spending money on. I would say the the big house upgrade. We've skipped that and I have no regrets on that. Awesome. So let me just ask, I'm looking here at your income, 65 to 300. And I know we touched on this a little bit earlier when Chase was asking, but as your income has jumped like that, you know, more than four times in the last 10 years, how have you controlled or been able to control your household spending or has it increased? I assume it's increased some, but you seem like a pretty simple millionaire next door type of guy. Totally millionaire next door type guy. And I'm sure the, you know, the spending's really crept up. A lot of it has just been kids and the travel, you know, traveling more. Now, my wife and I now do a trip just us every year. So the majority of that increase in spending has been travel and kid expenses. But I'd say it's just been natural. And I would say it's because of having a spouse who's totally, you know, the 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 same on the same financial page as you, right? So my wife is not mm-hmm. a big 
a big spender. And that's just been, there's not that pressure of upgrading house or, you know, buying the brand new cars or whatever else it may be. So it's just been kind of, kind of natural. It was easy to just maintain that same lifestyle. Sure. Uh, Let's talk happiness. Has the money made you more happy? I don't think it's made me any more happy, but it's given me, I, I, I feel a sense of peace of knowing that I'm on that right track to achieving just such an ultimate goal. And that's going to be to, to have that financial independence at a, at a relatively, you know, what I consider still a young age. Young age. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. yeah. So. Good for you. So just wrapping up here, mistakes and advice. Are there some mistakes that you would caution against or couple that with general advice for somebody who's just starting off? I mean, what worked for you and, and what should people do? How are you able to be so financially successful now? Yeah, I, I remember when I started out right out of college and in the, you know, trying to enroll in 401k and I chose not to because in my mind, I thought I, you know, I, I can't afford to save that 15%. And, you know, I'll, I'll do it when I make more money. And, you know, I really didn't start saving anything for retirement then until I was 28. And so I would say just, just pay yourself first, especially at every age, right? Even when you're your first job, like just put that 15% in into an account, pay yourself first. That's just, I, I wish I would have, it would have, you know, it would have shaved years off of what my, what my target date is now to, to retire. Well, you've done phenomenally well. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story. Really fun to hear about it. Congrats on your success. Again, everybody, that's Adam, net worth of 1.4. Congrats and, and thanks again. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.